New game day shirt? Boom. Cash back. Food for the tailgate? Boom. Cash back. Even buying a round can earn you cash back when you use your debit card. And yes, I said debit card. With Discover Cashback Debit, everyone can earn cash back on everyday purchases. Look, in sports, it's hard to predict who is taking the win, but you know what's guaranteed to win? Discover Cashback Debit. Oh, and did I mention there are no fees, period? I'm telling you, this one, it's a real game changer. Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashbackdebit. Discover Bank, member FDIC. Soccer Show and our weekend review. We're looking back on a weekend where Arsenal kept up their title chances under pressure from Man United's advances. Eddie Nketiah stole the show, but would it have all been different with Casemiro? Chelsea showed us that their squad is deep in a game that sent us all to sleep, and Man City showed they still have sway as Rebecca Lowe broadcast in front of a giant hard rock cafe. Mm. Bayern kicked off the Rook Runder with a draw. Giorena had the yellow wall in awe. And at Juventus, things aren't so stable as the old lady begins life in mid-table. My name's Ryan Bailey. Joining me today is a man who is a bit unlike Frank Lampard in that he's not seeking a job right now. Taylor Rocco, I had to rewrite that intro because uh, the news just broke that Taylor, Ro- uh, Taylor Rocco lost his job. No, Frank Lampard <laughs> lost his job. Taylor Rocco's job's fine. Sorry, Your job's fine, Taylor. Taylor. Taylor, you're not going anywhere. Your job's fine, okay? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I was going to say I'll take that introduction over a man who was quietly sacked just before we started recording, because that was also Frank Lampard. Yeah. So, sorry about that, Frank. And sorry, Taylor, for messing up my intro there. (laughs) You're welcome, both of you. I mean, between that and you not knowing your own name last week, I feel like this one's at least an improvement on that. I think, as uh, I'm nearly 40 years old, Taylor, I'm slowly falling apart. Uh, We all are, buddy. We all are. I constantly think of the Louis C.K. joke about going to his doctor complaining of a sore ankle and the doctor just says like yeah your ankle's worn out like that that's the solution it's just worn out uh which i then told to my doctor and he said yeah that's a thing so that's a fun uh comforting bit of news for me fun times indeed mm-hmm. all right it's the only ways up from here tay tay joining us a man who loves to celebrate a goal covering his ears and mimicking speech with his hand graham rusman is that true or is that someone else i'm thinking of uh, that might be Gio Reyna that oh, you're thinking right, of. But right. I also, I, I think there were four different elements to Gio Reyna's celebration with his, his goal for Dortmund at the weekend. Four is a bit much for me. I, I kind of cap it at three. three oh, anything over three different elements in my celebration, I feel like I'm just milking it a little bit too much. Yeah, fair enough, fair enough. Well, it's good to have you here, Graham. And it's good to have a man joining us who's as quick as Mudrick, but with fewer neck tattoos. At least I think he does. Joe Lowry, I can't see your neck right now. How many neck tattoos do you have? Yeah, they're actually on my lower neck, so I have uh, several, but they're all almost more collarbone tattoos than anything else. Uh, it's kind of borderline, so I'll give it to you, Ryan. I'll, I'll let you have this one. You've divided your no- neck into territories. I like that. Right, right. Lower and upper yeah. collarbone, okay. upper neck. You get the idea. No um, regrets tattooed across <laughs> his collarbone. No point five years in London. That's what I have tattooed on my collarbone. Very, very nice indeed. Uh, of the four of us, who's the most likely to get a neck tattoo? It's Taylor, right? Mm, no. no, I feel like that. I feel like Graham might do that. Graham with the blonde hair, I could see a neck tattoo in there somewhere. Through oh, trying to uh, through an attempt to recapture my youth, yeah, I, I could maybe an ill <laughs> an ill judged attempt. The blonde hair and the neck tattoo. Graham yeah. Graham's gone blonde. Graham's got a new fancy uh, Game Boy console that is this another attempt to relive his youth, and now the neck tattoo. That's going to be the big three. <laughs> you, you're telling me that you can't envision a scenario in which Graham shows up to recording one day with Super John McGinn tattooed across his throat. Come on, come on, across yeah, his butt. Kieran Tierney carrying his, throat, his Tesco but... badge uh, bag on yes. there. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> Wonderful. All excellent options for you to consider for your next artwork, Graham. Uh, before we Thank get you. to recording, Joe, you're recording in a different location. I believe you're still in California, uh, enjoying Correct. that sweet California sunshine. You appear to be either in the most organized closet in the world or a store. <laughs> that one. Such is the way that the laundry is stacked behind <laughs> you. Abercrombie and Fetch. I am I'm actually just in a mall right now outside of LA. No, I am in I am in the world's most organized closet. So I'm staying in my aunt and uncle's place in California. And they are two of the most organized people that you will ever find. And so this is the standard sort of for how things are folded around here that applies to the kitchen, applies to every room. 
it really is goals. Not that I will ever like really achieve those goals, but yeah, I'm just in a closet, not an Abercrombie and Fitch. <laughs> I have, I have a question that might take uh, 30 seconds or 20 minutes, depending. If we extend that further, who do, in football do we think has the most organized closet? Because my assumption would be mm. Pep. Pep. But yep. then I also think Pep is probably like a minimalist who throws things out and has like four shirts that he wears. But my, and my inclination is to go German like Thomas Muller, maybe. But I'm saying it's either Pep Guardiola or Thomas Muller for me. Those are my two su- suggestions. I think Pep would be, would fold everything very well, but he would only have four of each thing, yeah, and each exactly. thing would be the same. So there would be <laughs> it would be the same shirt, the same the same jumper, and of course, all from D squared. I think that's the brand that he he's. You know, Ryan when he is upset or you know having a, t- a tough day, he'll just scroll the Lululemon site. I think Pep sure. Guardiola does that with the D squared site. <laughs> I think we've lost Ryan as well. Uh, I think his internet is spotty. So while he's not here, we should continue to take those shots at him. I do remember looking up once because Pep had those those shoes that look like Adidas, but they had four stripes instead of three. They looked like mm. Adidas Sambas, but four stripes. And I think I looked them up, and they were like five hundred pounds. Uh, a pair. So, yeah, I, I can imagine him having like four identical ones of those in very uh, well organized fashion. But, Joe, you do look like you are in David from Schitt's Creek store right now. So, yes, uh, credit yes. to you for that. Uh, hopefully, Ryan Bailey uh, joins us again in just a moment. And look at that. My connection came back for the time being, at least. Wonderful. Internet's good, isn't it, Taylor? Really reliable all the time, the internet. I love it. Don't you love the internet? <laughs> I'm a, I'm running nine different things simultaneously over here, just enjoying all this bandwidth, baby. You're using it all up. That's why I don't have any. Come on, man. Be fair. Be fair. Uh, before my connection goes again, I'd like to in, uh, remind everybody we have a wonderful Patreon, patreon.com slash Total Soccer Show. Uh, Graham Ruthven did another excellent video on our Patreon uh, this past weekend, um, which was about a field, Graham? Yeah, yeah. Basically, if you're into videos of people just walking around, not even inside stadiums, just just random football pitches and outside football stadiums, then yeah, the TSS Patreon is is the thing for you. Yeah, I walked about Cathkin Park in the south side of Glasgow, which is where an old club uh, in the sixties and fifties called Third Lanark used to play, and they were really successful and they had big crowds, and then they went bust due to financial mismanagement, and they never came back. So maybe a peek into Juventus's future there. <laughs> Wonderful stuff. I hope I hope their demise wasn't caused by um, financial mismanagement, Graham. Well, they also signed uh, Arthur Mello as well in an, in an <laughs> ill-judged Uh-oh. swap Uh-oh. deal. So okay. <laughs> they say it all went wrong for them when they redesigned their logo to just a just an L. Yeah, yeah. They they caught co- Juventus copied their re- their rebranding uh, template. Good stuff. All right. Well, also on the Patreon last weekend, uh, one of my betting videos, which uh, all of the bets came in on it. So maybe follow that because it'll. Never happen again. But hey, well, uh... <laughs> could you use your winnings to pay for better internet? Would that be possible? Oh, there's many things I pay for here. Uh, <laughs> if I could, Tata, which I cannot have, but uh, we have what we're given. But most of them just uh, cheeseburgers from Hard Rock Cafe, I assume. <laughs> correct, correct. Speaking of wonderful Joe, I don't know if you saw much of the Premier League broadcast over the weekend from Universal Resort Orlando. But I enjoyed the coverage. I enjoyed having, you know, the Coliseum in the background. The, the good Coliseum, the one with the Harbour Cafe inside it, not right, the one that's naturally. here that doesn't have a Harbour Cafe inside it. Yeah, I didn't see any of the coverage, but I saw that the Cooligans were there. They've been hosting yeah. some of the, the fan fests for the Premier League and NBC. So congrats to them. From By all accounts, they killed it. And, and I think yeah. this is the second one they've done this season. So that was my favorite part of everything. But Ryan, yeah, Rebecca Lowe is a constant pro. So I have no doubt that, that the broadcasts were excellent. Joe, I'm glad you mentioned the fan fest there because that was the context that I was missing. I was I hadn't seen this and was slightly confused as to why they were at Universal Orlando Resort and thought, you know, sometimes Ryan does podcasts from various locations. Thought mm. maybe Rebecca Lowe had said, well, I'm off to Orlando to Universal <laughs> Studios for a week. You can just come and film there, the Premier League uh, live show. So yeah. that was the context I was missing. Thank you, Joe. I'm on vacation, but I'm still under contract. So you've got to right. come to my holiday. <laughs> there we go. That's, that's the way it was. Yeah, yeah very, very good indeed. Uh, and the Cooligans did like a, a TikTok with the two Robbies, Zoolander-esque oh, one. Really that was cool funny. As well. It was very funny. Yeah. So go check that out. But what we should also check out, gents, is the Arsenal-Man United game. That was a terrible link. But Arsenal Ooh. 3, Man United 2. Marcus Rashford with the long ranger that was cancelled out by the aforementioned Eddie Nketiah. Uh, Saka and it was Martinez, I think, got the two second-half goals before the late winner from Nketiah 2. Arsenal, Graham, five points clear uh, at the top of the Premier League now. 
Mm. Are we we're giving them a thumbs up? I'm presuming because of this performance, and also because they once again have uh, uh, shown us their title winning credentials. Yeah, absolutely. So thumbs up to this match, first of all, for saving the weekend of televised Premier League matches in the UK, because until this match, we'd had three straight nil-nil draws, and I was looking through the history books. Not that I actually have history books, it's just called Google in, in 2023, <laughs> but I was looking through Google to see if we'd ever had a full weekend of nil-nils in, in televised matches. And this match made up for it because it was one of the games of the season so far. For me, this was a match between the t- the best two teams in the Premier League at this specific moment in time, talking about the last two months. Particularly the first half, it was, it was just a fascinating watch with both teams playing at a very high level. And obviously Arsenal were able to maintain that level over the, the course of the full 90 minutes while United fell away. And I think that said something about where these two teams are in their development. And Ryan... You mentioned Arsenal's title chances and any and, and some predictions we may have made over the course of the season. They're the real thing, Arsenal. And I said last week that if they won this match, I would probably change my prediction on who will win the title this season. I'm, I'm at that point now. Ars- Arsenal will win the title, Ooh. particularly if they continue on this, on this current trajectory. They have been the best team in the league for a prolonged period of time. We're not talking about a month, two months, two months. We're talking about a season that has even been split in half by the World Cup and they've been ma- they've they managed to, to pick that up again. They have absorbed some injuries and it actually feels like they're gaining momentum rather than rather than losing it. And only three other teams have had fifty points at the halfway stage of a Premier League season. And Liverpool in eighteen nineteen were the only ones who didn't go on to win the title and people remember that season was the season where Man City and Liverpool were just at a ridiculous height together and City edged Liverpool out. There's no one playing like City were in that season that, that when they denied Liverpool. City aren't at that level anymore and I just think Arsenal look pretty unstoppable at the moment. Yeah, the one thing that I do think could stop Arsenal, that hasn't yet, Graham, you said it there, is injuries, right? I think... Yeah, they signed Trossard in the, in the tra- January transfer window earlier on this month. That's going to do something for them. I am I am extremely impressed at how well they have stemmed the tide and how well they've dealt with Gabriel Jesus's injury. And Eddie Nketiah certainly deserves a thumbs up. He scores twice in this game. Has generally just been way better than I thought he would be so far this season. Deputizing for Jesus, got, got, got four goals in the Premier League so far, a couple in the Europa League as well. I mean, he's done a lot of really good stuff tracking back to work defensively. That stands out to me every single game that I watch him in. Getting in good spots in the box, he looks like a proper number nine, doing exactly what Mikel Arteta needs. I do have concerns about the depth in in this team, especially in central midfield, and still a little bit in the attack. There's a, about a week left in the January transfer window, so things can change, but that's the one area that I am a little concerned about, and that's the thing stopping me from saying, you know, Arsenal have this thing in the bag. But yeah, thumbs up to Arsenal for this performance. Opta had this stat. They had 63 touches, Arsenal did, in Manchester United's box, which is more than any team in any game in this Premier League season so far. 63 touches in the box. That is a lot of touches. As this game wore on, they were pouring the pressure on. I think that late winner was, Taylor, I'm sure brutal for you, but also deserved for Arsenal with how much pressure they were putting on Manchester United. Thumbs up to Arsenal. Thumbs up to Enketia. Just thumbs up to this game as well, as Graham said. <laughs> yep. And and it's a great goal from Nketiah. It looks really simple uh, the first time I saw it, but he has to really uh, like position himself and adjust his body accordingly to put that one in. And, and it's it's a well-taken goal. It's a good win for Arsenal. And yes, I was pretty bummed with the way it went, but I was mostly bummed because Manchester United, I think, really did like fold, essentially. I think they had to sit off. I think that they were sort of out of gas. Obviously, the Casemiro absence, I think, playing a big part in that one. But Arsenal, the deserved winner here. And I agree with Graham that this was kind of a meeting of the two best teams at present time. And I think that shows you just how good this Arsenal team is, that with these two teams in the form they are, Arsenal looked very dominant, especially in that second half. And I think it's a credit to them. It's a credit to Mikel Arteta and the buy-in he has gotten from this squad, such that when he loses Gabriel Jesus, Eddie Nketiah comes in and I think has has been doing what's necessary in training and going through the rotations to be able to just sort of slot in there and, and do what he needs to do. I share your concern, Joe, about injuries. At the same time, it does feel like this is a team that has complete buy-in and everybody's on the same page. So if you did lose Granit Xhaka, for example, I do wonder if there's an academy player who can come in and and do yeah. a serviceable enough job. 
they do have some depth. I mean, if, if we're using Man City as a yardstick for depth, I don't think any team in football history has had the depth that, that <laughs> Man City have at this moment in time. But in this game, Ben White, he's having a little bit of trouble with, with Marcus Rashford. Arteta makes the call to, to pull him off because he's on a yellow card. And on comes Tommy Asu. So that, that's that's decent, decent depth in that position. Arsenal have also got Kieran Tierney in the left-back position. They've got players like Emil Smith-Rowe to come back from, from injury. Um, Fab, Fabio Vieira, that's his first name, right? He yeah. hasn't played much, which is you can tell by the fact I'm not sure what his first name is. But the, the other Vieira, who's not Patrick, who signed for Arsenal in, in, in the summer, he's an option in midfield. I, I, I'm not necessarily disagreeing with Joe. I think depth is, is a concern, particularly yeah. in those, those wide attacking areas. But then Leandro Trossard comes on in this game and he plays a, a part in, in the goal. He gets the, the, the pre-assist for, for, for the goal. So if he can hit the ground running and, and they get Smith-Rowe back, they, get, they manage to integrate Vieira, they do have some depth there. It's not like they've, they've only got 11 players and nothing else. Yeah, that's a really good point, Graham. And I think to clarify, because I agree with Joe that depth would be a concern, probably should be a concern, but I keep going back to the comparison uh, I made, I think, last week or the week before to this Arsenal team and the Leicester team that won the title. Uh, Arsenal having a bit more in terms of resources, in terms of uh, like player profile, but at the same time, it's a team that I think we kept expecting to get tripped up. We keep expecting to get tripped up and to have some injuries that really do come home to roost. We keep expecting, or I keep expecting, Man City and Liverpool to find form and really make this uh, come close. And it just seems like Arsenal keep finding ways to win, keep finding ways to navigate injuries. Uh, and when teams seem to have figured them out, they keep finding ways to evolve. And so I, I think what I mean to say is I share Joe's concern. At the same time, it feels like thus far, the evidence supports the idea that they'll just find another way to cope with that injury. So short of it being... I don't know, the entire midfield, and then like Matt Turner is starting at center, center midfield, uh, I'd be feeling mm. pretty confident. Well, that, that, would them, <laughs> that, obviously. that obviously. would help them, obviously. That would help, of Odegaard would be the one player. I think if he were to, if he were to get an injury, I, I don't know who yeah. okay. does that job That's for, a good point. When, in his absence. So he'd, he'd be the one player. I think Arsenal can absorb two or three injuries at once. They've done it with Jesus, but Odegaard, is, I, I don't know who comes in for him and does that same job. Brendan Aronson. Make it happen, Arsenal. <laughs> <laughs> was an incredibly exciting game, as we discussed here, and particularly that sort of last 20, 25 minutes where United just couldn't clear their lines and the ball kept coming in. They were getting pummeled and pummeled, and David De Gea had a couple, at least uh, <laughs> one excellent save towards the end there before the uh, third goal for Arsenal went in. But Taylor... Yeah. Um, what do you think of David De Gea? He, 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 was, a, he was a good performer here. <laughs> I just, I felt so bad for him that there were moments after he just hoofed it like uh, like 40, uh, 40 rows into the stadium and looked around like, guys, you know I cannot pass the ball. Stop <laughs> trying to get me to pass the ball. Like he he did, he did a very David De Gea thing in that he pulls a point blank save out of nowhere that looks easier than it is. But for the distance, I think it's in Ketia from like six yards out, kind of completely unmarked, David De Gea makes the reflex save and that is what has made him such an important player for Manchester United for the past many, many years, that he makes these ridiculous saves, that he keeps Manchester United in games that they don't really have any business being in. And then, I think at the same time, that inability to play with his feet and some of his decision-making when to come, when not to come. And in those closing minutes, the amount of times he goes for punches when he probably could have caught the ball... Yeah, and slow things down. Even at the very end, when there's the one where he gets like a slight pull from, I think, Nketi again, and goes down and acts like maybe he's been shot uh, and I know there's some gamesmanship in there I know he's trying to waste time but the commentators pointed out he has I think Erickson making a run through the middle unmarked and if he hits that ball and just kind of plays through that little uh, discomfort or that little sort of interference and hits that ball there's a chance United to get that winner and I think it shows first of all what how Manchester United were playing in those final few minutes of hoping for that draw playing for the draw uh, and I don't really begrudge them that because this Arsenal team is very good but I think it also we saw the strengths of David De Gea in this game and we also saw the limitations and why I think Manchester United will go for a goalkeeper in the summer and will probably try to to move David De Gea yeah. on if they can and and the weird thing about that is Manchester United will likely end up with a goalkeeper who in pure goalkeeping sense is not as good yep. as David De Gea so D David uh, Raya the Brentford goalkeeper is, is apparently on United's radar in terms of shot stopping ability he's nowhere near David De Gea but he can pass out from the back so it's, it's Manchester United need to weigh up 
the, which of those two types yeah. of goalkeepers is going to have a bigger impact on their team? Do well, they do they keep David de Gea, who maybe uh, performs outperforms his his xG by making these great saves, or do they get a goalkeeper in who, like Ederson, makes the whole team stronger? And it feels like they're probably going to do the latter. Well, and, and I'll add one one beat on that, Graham. David de Gea's rep is that he's an excellent shot stopper, and I think he pulls out big saves on the regular, but. You know, when we're looking at goalkeepers, we often don't see the little mistakes. We don't think about the, the the balls that get past them in the same way, right? They don't stick out to us in the same way because being a goalkeeper is really, really hard. According to FB Ref, and, and you mentioned XG there, Graham, David De Gea has either underperformed or just barely overperformed. So basically, he's either been below average or just slightly below average for the last five seasons. His last major positive season based off of post-shot XG was back in 2017-18. So I'm really not sure. I know that's the prevailing narrative around David De Gea. I'm really not sure that you're going to lose out on that much. I haven't looked at that David Raya's numbers yeah. as much or, or recently, but I'm not, I'm not really sure United are going to miss David De Gea all that much. I think a lot of that uh, has to do with the fact that he struggles still with long distance shots. That's the thing that like when he came in, it's a thing that teams identified and shot early from distance. I talked to Karl Anka about this a couple of seasons ago that essentially it felt like he just had the yips that when there was a shot from distance, he just second guessed himself. He didn't quite know where to get his footing. It happens in this game as well. Uh, the equalizer from Nketia that he hits from what, 25 out? Uh David Gea sees it late. I think he's shifting to the wrong side as the shot is taken, so he's he's slow to adjust. But even there, it's a shot from distance that he can't get to uh, that maybe a, a, a goalkeeper with a little bit better reactions, a little bit better shot stopper from distance, I think maybe, maybe pushes that one wide. Uh, so I think there's always been that concern about his ability from distance. The reflex saves, I think, are where he's made up some of that ground. But I think now... When you have that lack of ability to kind of keep the ball calmly uh, with at at his feet to find those passes and to not just hoof it into touch and sort of look around like guys, I don't know what else you want me to do here. I'm not trying to pass it to anybody. I think it just you see the shortcoming of his game in that regard. I still think he's a great goalkeeper. I still think he could win the Champions League with the right club. Uh, I just don't know if he is the goalkeeper that Eric Ten Hag will want. So uh, I've seen Raya linked. I've seen Emmy Martinez linked. We've seen links to uh, Diogo Jota. I think all of those will be people that United will continue to scout as the season goes on. I assume you mean Diego Costa, not Jota, and aren't Diego. that desperate that they're considering. <laughs> I, I get so focused on not saying Diego Costa that I made it Diego Jota. Yes, Diego Costa. Thank you, Graham. I think we've mostly given thumbs up for this game so far, and that's what it deserves. It was a cracking game, of course. But if we're going to give thumbs down, Graham, the one player who got the most, uh, uh, not abuse, um, co- criticism <laughs> from the commentary uh, on, on the NBC broadcast, at least, was Anthony, who. Yeah from what I could see, just gave the ball away quite a lot and didn't do what he's supposed to. He had a very ineffective uh, game. I, I don't think he played well at all. He he had just one touch of the ball in the Arsenal box and it just felt like United's attacks were dying every time the ball was fed into him. And that was in, sharp, in stark contrast to how Saka was playing on, on the same right wing for, for Arsenal when he was just driving at defenders whenever he had the ball. And I thought Saka, just to switch it slightly, I'll bring it back to Anthony, to switch it slightly to Saka, I thought this was arguably his his best performance I've ever seen from him. I don't, I don't watch every single Arsenal game, so maybe he has played better than, than this, but this was probably the best I have seen him. The way he was cutting inside off, off the right wing, it was just causing United so many problems to the point that Ten Hag had to make a change to, to combat the, the threat that he was posing because Shaw did not know what to do when Saka was cutting inside because it meant Arsenal could double up. And when Shaw decided not to follow him, it left Christian Eriksen pretty isolated one-on-one. And that's what happened for, for Saka's goal where he is able to, to create the space. Eriksen being over the age of 30 now it just isn't sharp enough to, to, to stick with him. And it wasn't just Saka either. It was Martinelli on the other side and Wambasaka fared a little bit better because he's a better one-on-one defender but there were still times when he was pulled out of position and then Arsenal could could split the defence and play the ball into what I call the, the David Silva channel and that's where I, the, the, the winning goal comes from the David Silva channel so it was just so much easier for Arsenal to create in those wide areas Marcus Rashford had a very good game obviously his goal is absolutely sensational with the little bit of, of skill through the, the legs of Thomas Partey and then the Kylian Mbappe strike from outside the box. He had a good game. He posed a threat throughout. But Anthony, he's in a little bit of a rut at the moment. I think he has 
a, a big reason why he's in poor form is because Aaron Wan-Bissaka is playing as the right wing back or the right back behind him, and unlike Dallo, he doesn't overlap, and so Anthony needs that player drawing a defender away from him so that he can create those one-on-one opportunities and 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 beat a man, and he just wasn't able to do that yeah. at all in this match. I know we're going long on this one. Uh, I want to spend a little more time on Arsenal for a moment since I think I spent plenty of time talking about Man United, uh, and I think everything Graham said there is really good. Uh, way of explaining why Arsenal, I think, will end up winning the title because they just seem to have discipline and awareness, but then also individual ability to execute what Arteta wants them to do. And that is in attack. It's in transition to attack, but it's also in defense where they had two banks of four. They defended really well in a 4-4-2, and then they launched really aggressive counterattacks from that shape and kept uh, being able to find people in pockets of space. Martin Odegaard uh, doing a very good job of popping up all over the place to kind of alleviate any pressure that would happen when Arsenal had possession in United's defensive third. And I think for Manchester United, they just didn't transition to defense particularly well. It didn't feel like they knew their assignments as well, which is to be expected for a club in their first year with with their manager versus Arsenal having all of the instruction they've gotten from Mikel Arteta. Mm. But I think that was another pretty clear uh, difference between the two, how disciplined Arsenal looked in attack, in defense, and in transition to both, whereas United, I think, had some of those deficiencies, had a little bit long legs near the end, and I think that went a long way towards explaining how this game finished the way it did. The Arsenal midfield in particular is absolutely incredible. So they obviously have the anchor of Thomas Partey, but then Xhaka and Odegaard, the amount of ground that they cover off the ball in particular. So the Saka goal, where he, the one I was just talking about there, where he cuts inside and, and he finds the bottom corner with his left foot. I rewatched that and thought, okay, so, so what is the run that distracts Shaw and makes him think he can't follow him inside? Because Ben White and Tommy Asu don't do that for Arsenal. It's Martin Odegaard. Martin Odegaard runs from the middle of the pitch and overlaps Saka as a central midfielder to to create that hesitation in Luke Shaw's mind. And Xhaka was doing similar on the, on the left side. I can't quite remember a player who has been so fundamentally reinvented as much as Granit Xhaka has this season and, and going into last season as well he was finished at Arsenal he was done he was he was he was on his way to Roma I believe there was a, a medical booked a couple years ago he was going to Roma when Jose Mourinho was was a point was uh, hired there and for Arteta to get this level of performance out of him is it's just completely unexpected as I say the ground that he and Odegaard cover just gives Arsenal such uh it gives them an extra dimension and in, in the center of the pitch and it, it contributes to that feeling where the final 20 minutes of this game, you're watching Manchester United trying to defend, thinking they're a man down. It feels like yeah. they're a man down here against Arsenal. And that is due to just the movement. Everyone is moving all the time. And yet, yes, it's fluid, but there's still a structure to it. Everyone in that Arsenal team knows their responsibilities, knows what their role is. It's just very impressive coaching from Arteta. It is indeed. There we go. Team at top of league wins game. Uh, we'll take a break back shortly with more Premier League, more Bundesliga, the return of the Bundesliga and much more back shortly. New game day shirt. Boom. Cash back. Food for the tailgate. Boom. Cash back. Even buying a round can earn you cash back when you use your debit card. And yes, I said debit card. With Discover Cashback Debit, everyone can earn cash back on everyday purchases. Look, in sports, it's hard to predict who is taking the win, but you know what's guaranteed to win? Discover Cashback Debit. Oh, and did I mention there are no fees, period? I'm telling you, this one, it's a real game changer. Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashbackdebit. Discover Bank, member FDIC. Did you know that even if you have a 401k for retirement, you can still have an IRA? Robinhood has the only IRA that gives you a 3% boost on every dollar you contribute when you subscribe to Robinhood Gold. But get this, now through April 30th, Robinhood is even boosting every single dollar you transfer in from another retirement account with a 3% match. That's right, no cap on the 3% match. Robinhood Gold gets you the most for your retirement thanks to their IRA with a 3% match this offer is good through April 30th. Get started at Robinhood.com slash boost. Subscription fees apply. 
And now for some legal info. Claim as of Q1 2024 validated by Radius Global Market Research. Investing involves risk including loss. Limitations apply to IRAs and 401ks. 3% match requires Robinhood Gold for one year from the date of first 3% match. Must keep Robinhood IRA for five years. The 3% matching on transfers is subject to special terms and conditions. Robinhood IRA available to U.S. customers in good standing. Robinhood Financial LLC member SIPC is a registered broker. Dealer. Total Soccer Show, welcome back. Liverpool nil, Chelsea nil. Boy, am I glad I watched this one, Joe. What an <laughs> entertain... No, it wasn't at all. Uh, it was a bit of a snooze fest, this one, unfortunately, Joseph. Uh, did we learn anything from Jurgen Klopp's 1,000th game? Perhaps we learned that these two teams being in ninth and 10th as they were at the start of the action yep. is reasonably justified. Chelsea probably happier with the point in this one, but Liverpool... Same old story, lacking the intensity they used to have. Yeah, I mean, I think there is more hope. What we learned is there's more hope for Chelsea this season than there is for Liverpool, right? You think about all of the moves that Chelsea are making, and it's funny, right? We, we can laugh at Todd Bowley and laugh at, you know, why are they signing everyone, 8,000 people. The memes are great about this whole thing, but at least they are making signings that could potentially transform this team. Liverpool are in a little bit of a different spot, and I have less hope for them this season in terms of their ability to charge up the table. The, the reason why I have a bit more hope for Chelsea is that really the only thumb I have pointed in any direction for this game is like a thumb that's mostly up. I'm going to say 60 degree angles upward for Mudrik, who I thought was fun coming on. And you could see why Chelsea went out and signed him and, and gave him a lifelong contract to be a, a blue forever. <laughs> Mudrik comes on mm. for, for Lewis Hall in the 55th minute. And I thought he was good. Plays on the left, had some very dangerous moments, gave James Milner, Hamas Milner, excuse me, Taylor, my apologies, Thank you. some trouble, um, which really, if you're not giving Hamas Milner some trouble in a foot race, maybe that's not, <laughs> maybe this isn't the sport for you. Had some good runs in behind. Like, I was I was very encouraged with how direct and purposeful Mudrik was. I know that's the, that's the scouting report on him. That's his rep. But he brought that. He wasn't just hanging around off the ball waiting to get touches. He was trying to take the game to Liverpool. And ultimately, it didn't matter. But created some real danger on the left side. Got into the left side of the box. I thought he was fun to watch in this game. Wasn't starting in this match because I think Shakhtar had not been playing games. And so he'd been training some solo this week from what I've read, from what I've seen. And and gets still a good chunk of this match. Almost half of it. I think Mudrik is going to continue to bet in well. This Liverpool opponent is a better one for him, I would wager, than a lot of other teams closer to the bottom of the Premier League table because they do give you space to attack him behind. So I'm curious to see what the next you know, evolution of Mudrik's game is going to be against a more compact team. But still, generally speaking, a thumb mostly up to Mudrik, mostly up to you know Chelsea being hopeful relative to Liverpool. I'm kind of grasping at straws. <laughs> Well grasped, Joseph. Well grasped. Uh, let's park that game and move on to West Ham <laughs> 2, Everton 0. This one, Graham, Bill, before kickoff is the game where one of the managers would lose their jobs, uh, just as we uh, started to record. Uh, of <laughs> course, that did come to pass. Uh, Everton joint bottom of the Premier League. And looking at Everton's next couple of fixtures, uh, Arsenal and Liverpool. Nice. Difficult. Yeah. Yeah, I believe this match was dubbed El Sacico, and uh, as it as it proved, because Frank Lampard lost his job, as as you say, just before that we started. That sounds filthy, but I understand what it means. But yeah, okay. Anyway, El Sacico, yeah, it's an innuendo for something else. But yeah. anyway, it's also a name for for this match. It's barely an innuendo, to... Graham. It's barely innuendo. <laughs> True. Yeah. Th- so thumbs down to any sense of happiness at this match, because both these teams are struggling this season, and both fan bases are very unhappy with how their clubs are being run. But after this, uh, Everton fans have more reason to be unhappy than the, the West Ham fans. They they are going down. I, I might say they were going down now because with Lampard gone, maybe you get someone in who can make a difference. But that team, the team that played at West Ham, this, that played this match, is just completely useless. They, they have absolutely no attacking threat. Defensively, they're, they're dodgy as well. The, the tracking on Bowen in the box wasn't good for both goals. The decision-making, like the one that saw Tarkovsky diving in on Mikel Antonio for the second goal, also not good. But that attack is arguably the weakest in the whole league. They played wing-backs in this match, but then Mikelenko and Coleman offer barely any outlet for them. There's no attacking sequences there was a there was a, I watched the just before Lampard got sacked I was checking the Everton uh, Twitter feed and at the time of recording they actually hadn't put out a statement it's being widely re- uh, reported by journalists including the BBC so I think it's you know it's legit it's happened 
but I was looking at what their latest tweet was, and it was an interview with Frank Lampard after this game, and and it's the the club media guy, so there's not really it's, it's softball questions essentially, and the, the the poor Everton media guy asks him what how can Everton because they had a lot of possession in this game, I think they had sixty eight percent possession, they barely created an opportunity, so he asks him what what can the players do to translate that control into opportunities, and Lampard says, well that's on the players to do that, <laughs> oh dear. That is not an answer that you want to that question. He has no idea how to set up an attacking team. Last season, I thought Lampard had actually found out something about himself where he started to be much more compact. He re- he re- uh, relied on Richarlison to create something out of nothing as the, the attacker. I thought he was going to be closer to a Sean Dyche than a Pep Guardiola, but he seems to have gone back to thinking he's some sort of expansive modern manager. And, and he just doesn't have, quite frankly, he doesn't have the coaching chops to, to do that. So... Everton is is clearly a very toxic place right now. The mistrust of the board is growing and growing. They need someone who can go back to basics with this team. And I think it's a team that is pretty much set up for Sean Dyche. So I would be shocked if he's not the Everton manager. I think the time is right for them to break the glass. This is an emergency. It's time to play yeah. Sean Dyche ball. Yeah, up the word budget. <laughs> I, just, I mean and that that would be i think a, a solid appointment because it gives them the sort of foundation the identity of we know what we're going to be it still seems weird to me we talked about this before we started recording that this is the same everton who not too long ago had carlo Ancelotti and uh hamas rodriguez not even hamas milner but the actual hamas rodriguez and uh richarlison playing there it just felt like a different team and now here we are uh, a rough game this weekend Questions and anger about the ownership. Uh, Farad Mashiri was there to watch this game. There's questions about the board and anger there. Lampard, the squad itself. And I just want to say, like, thumbs up to Everton supporters because this cannot be fun. Uh, And there's not really much of a worse thing in fandom that I can think of than this is not going to get better anytime soon, but I'm going to keep watching. It just feels like punishment. And so I just, I know that there are Everton supporters who don't love listening to Weekend Review because they know it's just going to be us sort of dissecting why their team is getting worse. Uh, So I would just say until it gets better, thumbs up to them for continuing to support the club they love. And at least you have Nathan Patterson. Graham, would that make you feel better if you were an Everton (laughs) supporter knowing that Nathan Patterson is there? I think he's out injured at the moment, so it doesn't make me feel any better Yikes. now, or I wouldn't if I was an Everton <laughs> fan. Can I just say with, about Everton fans? <laughs> they um they get a they get a bad rap, and I don't I don't know what it is about that club, but numerous times this season there's been the implication that Everton are in their position because of the toxic atmosphere in, at Goodison Park, and in some way it's to do with the fans. It is nothing to do with the fans, and I've been at Goodison Park when that place has been rocking, when it's been a good place to go and they get behind their team. I, I just feel like the Everton board right now do not represent the people that are in the stands at Goodison Park right now. There were there, 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 the, the whole thing with the threats against the board as well last week, pretty dubious to say the least. I mean, Merseyside Police came out afterwards and said that no threats had been reported to them, which was obviously in contradiction to what the Everton board had said. So as I said, the, the, the word I used was mistrust. And I think there's a great deal of that between the board and the fans. And I know who I am siding with in that battle. Wonderful stuff. Um, well, not so wonderful stuff, in fact. Uh, the opposite of that. Uh, Southampton against Villa. Some terrible stuff happening in that game as well. Play suspended before halftime because of a drone inside the stadium. Trying to film Premier League-owned footage. How dare they? We have to stop the game for that. Yeah. Uh, Villa won that one. Won it. Maybe it was. Yeah, there we go. Let's start a conspiracy there, Graham. <laughs> um, Man City 3, Wolves 0, Erling Haaland with a hat-trick. Pep Guardiola, quote um, in The Guardian, I won four La Liga titles in a row and as a player, and after I was not starving enough. I want to be here, but if I lose the team, I can't. Ooh, what's he trying to say, Joe? Does he trying to say he's lost the hunger, lost the appetite in the, in the old dressing room? I, I don't know. I don't understand what that does. Anyone understand what that quote no. is about? It's not, Graham, it's not at like one end of the extreme or the other. Maybe it is, and I'm just not smart enough to figure out what extreme it is. But I'm not used to Pep sort of talking like that. I need him to say, like, Man City is the greatest soccer team that has ever soccered, or we are the worst team yeah. that's ever soccered. This, like, sort of more philosophical, you know, retroactive, it just doesn't do it for me, Pep. Wait, Ryan, can you read that quote one more time? I won four La Liga titles in a row as a player, and after, I was not starving enough. And there's a bit where he talks about caviar and Madrid beating him, and I understand Man City players not being as hungry after winning X, Y, and Z, but I'm here to turn this around. I want to be here, but if I lose the team, I can't. 
So that sounds like a pretty direct shot at the players to me. That sounds like he's saying the players aren't hungry enough. It doesn't matter what he does. If they're not uh, motivated, if they're not doing what he asks of them, then it's not going to make a difference. Mm -hmm. And I sort of feel like maybe this game is an important one for him to say that comment after after they've just won 3-0. That feels like maybe the players got a bit of a bollocking. Uh, I think that's the correct word. I don't know how to use well your used. slang. Got yelled at a bunch uh, and came oh, out, okay. won this game, and now he can say, like, see, you buy in, you do what I say, we win games. But if mm. you guys don't want to, like, if you're not hungry enough, but- that's your call. That's one theory, but the other theory is that he's just confirming Ellen, Erling Haaland as a robot. That's awesome. He doesn't actually eat food. So he's saying Erlen Haaland isn't hungry because he doesn't eat food like a human. <laughs> sure. They haven't given We're him the, the software brain. patch to uh, eat human normal food or whatever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. One human alcohol beer, please. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's just a regular human bartender, Erlen Haaland. There That's it is. all he is. Don't worry about it. <laughs> Give him it. a toothpick. Give him a toothpick. <laughs> then he'll look normal. All right. Well, Man City very much keeping on Arsenal's toes, regardless of Pep's philosophical um, mutterings. Arsenal top of the table Everton looking like they might be going down Chelsea and Liverpool in the middle good old Premier League season narrative wise so far I would say if I don't say so myself let's take another quick reset we're going to clear our lines when we come back we're going to go to the Bundesliga we're going to go to Serie A maybe a bit of the Liga as well back shortly today's episode is brought to you by our friends at Shopify who would like to remind you that not everyone can be Erling Haaland or Harry Kane I would say only Erling Haaland and Harry Kane can be Erling Haaland and Harry Kane but more to the point Not everyone can score the number of goals that those two score. Not everyone can set the goal-scoring record. Sometimes you've got to be the teammate. Sometimes you've got to be the assists uh, person. You've got to be Kieran Trippier or Kevin DeBarna. You've got to spread the ball around. You've got to help facilitate that attacking play and those goals to help get the results you want. Because you need that perfect teammate. And when you need a perfect teammate when it comes to growing your business, Shopify has you covered. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. That feels like a good stage to be at. Shopify is there to help you grow along the way. How do they do that? Well, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. You can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. So you don't have somebody kind of following you around the online store just saying, can I help you, can I help you, can I help you? Nobody needs that in real life or online, but Shopify's AI gets the job done. And that is a very unique aspect of Shopify that no matter how big your business is, and that's something I really appreciate, you can be a a podcast just starting up, a podcast that's been here for a while, or a business that actually makes money. Either way, uh, Shopify is going to help you because that's what they are all about. Sign up for just $1 per month uh, trial period at shopify.com slash TSS, all lowercase. Uh, One more time, go to shopify.com slash TSS now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in, shopify.com slash TSS. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.
Total Soccer Show, welcome back. Bundesliga returned after 426 days off uh, on Friday evening. Sorry, it's actually a 68-day break, but it still is incredibly long. Basically, a new season start for the Bundesliga with Ebi Leipzig. One, Bayern Munich, one. Eric Chupamoting, of course, getting Bayern's goal. And Marcel Hasenberg with Leipzig's offering as well. Jan Sommer, uh, Joe, in goal for Bayern yeah. Munich, who is... When when uh, Manuel Neuer's leg heals, what's Jan Sommer gonna do? I hate this deal. I hate this deal. <laughs> why, so okay, much. Graham, why do you hate it? I wanna I wanna understand because yeah, he's just gonna sit on the bench. I think is what's gonna happen. But Graham, what do you what do you not like here? <laughs> so I know it's nothing new that, that Bayern Munich raid the rest of the Bundesliga for other clubs' best players, but this is the worst one so far because <laughs> it's only a short term fix. And so Bayern have just gone and got one of the the best goalkeepers in the league. To, until Manuel Neuer comes back. It's a bit like Erling Haaland getting an injury and Man City going, let's just sign Harry Kane until er, <laughs> uh, until Erling Haaland is, is back. As you say, he's just going to be on the bench and then that's the rest of the league deprived of Hilarious. one of its best goalkeepers because Bayern Munich had an injury. Oh dear, diddums. This, this is like the best <laughs> argument for me as, as far as why we shouldn't fix the Bundesliga because I think generally I'm, I'm in favour of trying to find artificial ways to create parity in a lot of European leagues. Uh, the Bundesliga certainly being one of them. We've talked about that on the big thing in the past. But this is just great content. I think I've entered the stage in my soccer-watching life. Maybe it started with Matthew LaHaz. I don't know where it came from. But I'm just here for the banter at this point. And this is great banter. Signing the goalkeeper that saved 80,000 of your shots in a game against Gladbach earlier this season. Making him your goalkeeper just to have him sit on the bench, as you said, Graham, when Manuel Nora comes back after his Alpine... Uh, equestrian skiing accident that that he had from a helicopter. Alpine equestrian, we, did you say? Yeah, we said horses, right? It was a horse skiing mm, from a helicopter. Was it really? That's what we talked about. That's what. It's not real. That was the theory oh, that we came up with. Oh, of Ryan course. Okay. I'm not. I, okay. I'm not. I'm not on the cannon. Sorry. Sorry. Joe. It's okay. You were. You were there, but it's fine. Um, <laughs> I. Uh, I. I love this deal. I love everything so about Ryan, it. It is attention to detail that we've. Come it is. Effect. It is such right, a. Should we start recording now, guys? <laughs> So yeah, I'm giving a thumbs up to to this transfer. I'm giving a thumbs up to Jan Summer. He came out and said after the game, like, yeah, I don't really know these guys and they don't really know me. Uh, we're going to get better because today we were still figuring out a lot of things on the fly. That's a rough paraphrase, but it is scary to, th to think that Bayern Munich just snagged this guy and made him their goalkeeper. Still in this game, great goal from Serge Gnabry to, uh, sorry, excuse me, great great assist from Serge Gnabry to Chippo Moting. Gets that goal and then a very Red Bull goal from Leipzig yeah. to get back into this game at 1-1. It is like, like this is the stuff that Jesse Marsh would play at a seminar, basically. So it's pressing, it's winning the ball back in the attacking half, getting the ball in the box quickly. It's a cross or a cutback, maybe kind of both from the right side of the box. And then a scrappy finish on the weak side after Sobeschlei heads it over. So it's it's a nice goal. Game was relatively entertaining. I still just can't get over this Jan Summer thing. Thumbs up to thumbs up to every aspect of that. I I like that move. I cannot get over how much of a Leipzig goal that was, Joe. As, as yeah. you've already said. I mean, it really is. First of all, first of all, it's Kimmich giving the ball away with a long sort of hopeful uh, pass out of Bayern's defensive third. Uh, but then it's Hostenberg stepping and winning it. He plays it to uh, Sobosly to Fraser Forster or Fraser Forster to uh, to Foster, who then plays it to Silva. Silva, I think, knocks down Kimmich. There's much consternation there from Bayern after the fact, but I love that they sort of outmuscle Kimmich. Then he plays it across Sobosly with a header. Uh, the diving header that goes to Halstenberg for the finish. So it's Halstenberg winning it and scoring. Uh, and just Leipzig really taking it to Bayern Munich. That felt appropriate. And as you said, Ryan, uh, thumbs up to Chupamoting for getting the goal, but also being very good for Bayern. He drops in a lot. He facilitates possession. He helps them alleviate the press on occasion. It's his sort of movement into space that allows them to play out of Red Bull's pressure that launches the counter that leads to that goal. And it's a great run from him as well to get on the end of that ball from Gnabry. Joe's right to point out how pretty of a ball it was. But it, it's especially good that he kind of holds it up, continues to dribble away from the defense, and waits for Chupamoting to get in the exact right position, which he does, and then the ball is delivered. So that was a lovely goal, a very Leipzig equalizer. Uh, I enjoyed this game from start to finish. Indeed. Uh, plenty of goals elsewhere in the Bundesliga this opening. I'm going to call it an opening weekend because it has been away for several years. I uh, forgot Frank that other leagues existed. I like. I really did. I know that sounds ridiculous. It, I'm being serious that suddenly the Bundesliga back and I was like, oh, right. There's so many leagues we have to talk about. Oh, no. MLS hasn't even started back up. We're going to be in trouble come March. Yeah. The Bundesliga only works when they have to. It's the, the freelance <laughs> lifestyle. Oh, it's, I call it's, it. 
There's a comedy Bang Bang character who I think gets 11 months of vacation every single year. That feels like the Bundesliga. They get that one month where they play some games. Is he a French protester? Uh, no, it's a, uh, he's a, a German pretzel inspector. Specifically Excellent. the salt of the pretzel is what he inspects. Marvellous. Anyway, yes. back to the real world. Frankfurt <laughs> up to second with a 3-0 home win over Schalke. Freiburger in fourth. They were thrashed 6-0 at Wolfsburg. And Cologne with a 7-1 win over Bremen. But the game, we should also give a shout to uh, Borussia Dortmund 4, Augsburg 3. Nice to see Dortmund beating a Bavarian team there. A 78th minute winner from Gio Reyna. We can get our thumbs to him shortly. But surely, Taylor, we have to start with a big yep. thumbs up for Sebastian Haller making his competitive return after his testicular cancer diagnosis. He, he had um, chemotherapy last July. He came on as a substitute here to rapturous applause yeah. from the Dortmund fans. That was a really great moment. This was a really great game, I think, if you are a Dortmund supporter. You get Haller back, he makes that substitute appearance, and they get the win with him on the pitch. Uh, and it was a great moment. I don't have like a, like a ton of loyalty to Haller or even Dortmund, but that was a special moment, the, the applause he gets that reception. And then for this win to happen the way it does, obviously we'll talk about Gio Reyna, uh, but just for Dortmund looking energetic, looking lively, scoring goals, but the goal scorers being Jude Bellingham, a 19-year-old, uh, Schlatterbeck getting a goal and an assist, he's 23, uh, Bino Gittens, who I knew nothing about before this game, uh, but he's an English attacker, 18 years old, Gio Reyna's 20, Adiemi gets an assist, he's 21, so the Dortmund Youth Project uh, continues on quite well. So you get Haller back, you get the win, youngsters doing things, pretty exciting time uh, for, for Dortmund supporters, uh, I, I have to believe. Yeah, the roller coaster continues at Dortmund, Joe. Any thumbs from you for this one? Oh, yeah. I mean, thumbs up to Gio Reyna for the goal, first of all, and then for the celebration. Yeah. Again, this fits in the Matthew Lahaz on summer transfer category. Just like, this is great. This is great entertainment on the soccer side. So the goal, I'll start there, is fantastic. So the ball's coming as I drop my phone on the ground in this Abercrombie and Fitch. Hopefully nobody nobody saw that or heard that. As, it's too uh, dark as, and you to see anyway, Joe, so you <laughs> right, won't find right, it again. Right, right. <laughs> the ball goes from left to right for Dortmund. It finds Gio Reyna on the right side. He touches it down, just out, outside the box, sort of with, with his right foot, and then hits this, this strike with the top of his right foot. That is neither a chip nor a rocket. It's just kind of in between both of those things, and it is perfectly placed and a reminder that Gio Reyna is just like... The, the single most talented player in the U.S. pool, and I think it's not even particularly close. So the goal was unreal to have that be a winner in Dortmund's game back and, and for this to be Giorena's return to the field after everything that's happened surrounding him, his parents, the Beralter family. It, it's a crazy... Not, it's The bow is not tied, right? It's not done, but it was a, a really fascinating next chapter. And then the celebration, right? This is where it starts to get really good. I believe there's four individual celebrations in here. They were on my phone, which is now on the floor. So I don't remember what they were. You can do but it, But there's Joe. one. You can do he's, it. He's, he's chattering. <laughs> he, he's miming like people the, talking the with his hand. first. Okay, the shush is first. The Thank you, Graham. And then he cups his ear, right? Like, oh, I can hear you. Yep. And then he puts his fingers in his ears. Memphis Depay style. Now, this is the internet sleuth portion of this lovely Is that deliberate, tale. do we think? I don't know. So, Berlter has a comment after the U.S. loses to the Netherlands who's like, you know, we don't have any, any players who are playing consistently in the Champions League like Memphis Depay or something along those lines. Again, that was on my phone, which is now on the floor. My apologies. But... Uh, now we have Gio Reyna coming out here and putting his fingers in his ears like Memphis Depay does after he scores goals. I have no idea if it's intentional or not, Graham. I would think no, but I hope yes. Can you? I mean, that is just so beautifully petty, and I love every single part of it. I, I really don't know what the angle is there from Gio Reyna, but it's a phenomenal goal. I, I get the vibe that it's just him sort of saying, like, I hear the noise, I'm blocking it out, I'm going to continue to do my thing and, and sort of be me. That's what I interpret all of this, and whether that's good or bad, I have no idea. But, man, that goal was good. I do know that much. Both thumbs up to that finish. Chalk it, by the way, Joe. If it's, uh, if it's what did you say, a chip and a rocket? It's a chalk it is what you have to call that one. Yeah. I kind of love that. Uh, I enjoyed the celebration. Sounds it did like feel – I feel like if I'm giving notes, like maybe a little over – like I think just the ears, the fingers and the ears would have conveyed the same message, no? Yeah, maybe. <laughs> I liked it. I liked it. No notes. No notes. No notes, indeed. And three points for Borussia Dortmund. Good stuff from the Westfalen Stadion. Let's take a quick jaunt to La Liga, Graham, as our resident person who watches the Liga the most, I'll say. Uh, Barca <laughs> edging out Hatafe 1-0 at the Camp Nou, courtesy of Mr. Pedri. And mm. uh, Real Madrid getting a 2-0 win at Athletic Club with Karim Benzema and Tony Kroos on the goals. Any thumbs here, Graham? 
Yeah, so thumbs up to yet another sensational Karim Benzema finish. As Taylor says, it was a weekend, so Karim Benzema <laughs> scored. But what is happening? Even... Like, it was a joke at first. He scores every weekend now, yeah. and maybe he always has, but it, I don't, it's, he has to be the Golden, Be- Golden Boot like leader right now, doesn't he? I uh, think he's behind Haaland, who, who's who got 25. Oh, he's be- and he's, he's behind Lewandowski the- in the league. Wow. Uh, yeah. He's behind Hotelou, too. He won too. the wow, Ballon okay. d'Or last year, so this is just what Ballon d'Or winners Oof. do. He's Kareem the so, Dream. So Graham, but it, was, he- it was a really good volley, but do, can you remember who floated the ball into the box for him? Because it was the most beautiful floated ball I think I've seen. I can't remember uh, who it was, but it was incredible as well. I recommend listening to you check out this goal. Yeah, I can't remember who floats the ball, and it's Asensio who kind of flips the ball up into the air with his head. And then Benzema's heading away from goal and off balance. And there isn't, and I mean this, there isn't another player in world soccer who would have tried a full volley in, in that position. But carrying Benzema is something else. And he seems to, able to be able to contort his body in, in that direction. And he, he hits it full flush on the volley and it finds the bottom corner of the net. It was, it was an incredible finish. And, and, and this was a, a huge win for, for Real Madrid in general. They needed three points to stay within touching distance of, of Barcelona, who had beaten Getafe earlier in the day. Joe, this sounds like I'm coming for Joe. I'm not Do really, it. I'm just providing some context. Barcelona's performance against, against Getafe was, was exactly why it wasn't good. Uh-huh. No, and that's exactly why I was I was hesitant to call them the best team in Europe. They, they deserve to win, but a 1-0 win at home against Getafe is not particularly emphatic. I, Pedri was very good, but they didn't really create a great deal. So anyway, Real Madrid needed the win. Their their midfield was much better in this game. That has been a problem since the World Cup. So Kroos and Modric were both benched for this match and, and that was the right decision in the end. Camavinga, Valverde and Ceballos, Danny Ceballos, remember him. They started instead and Camavinga in particular was very impressive. In a week where there had been some weird transfer stories about him, I can't envisage Real Madrid letting him leave and this was a demonstration of, of why not. He was he was very good. Vinicius had a quiet game, but uh, yeah, Real Madrid deserved their win, but the highlight was that Benzema goal. Two things quick for me. It was a Valverde pass for yeah, the Benzema I thought it was goal. Him. So that's, yeah, that's the first bit. The second bit is, I, uh, Grim, I hear you. Barcelona's performance was not very good this weekend and I think they, they clearly still have things they can improve on and can be more consistent. I'll just say that if Real Madrid got that win 1-0 at home playing that way, we would say like, oh, this is their DNA. This is this is this is why they are Real Madrid. I'm just saying you can twist this narrative pretzel in all sorts of different ways, and I'll try, and I do try to sort of you know speak out against that, regardless whether it was Barcelona or Real Madrid. You either play well or you don't play well. Barcelona didn't play particularly well. They do get three points, and they're still three points clear on top. I am I'm stoked for this title race. So that's a thumbs up for me. I've given that already since we've returned to club soccer after the World Cup. It's going to be a good one in La Liga. I think either one of these teams could conceivably win the title. And I like that there is actually some sort of race going on. Joe, I don't want to upset you too much, but I will say that Graham did message me this weekend to say that the only player that's more overrated than Gavi is Pedri. So yeah, make of that what you will. Oh, don't put, me, don't put that on me. I like Pedri. I just changed Joe's name on my phone to Laporta's lapdog. That's all. <laughs> hey, Graham, the bribe money is good. The bribe money is good. Just ask, sure just ask that uh, FIFA official that Fox bribed. Anyway. Uh, speaking of uh, financial yeah. uh, misgivings, why don't we finish up with Serie A, where Juventus had a 3-3 draw with Atalanta on Sunday evening. I watched this one on the CBS coverage, and it seemed like there were only a few hundred people in the stadium. The uh, the uh, the 15-point deduction that Juventus have suffered for um, an investigation into the club's past transfer dealings uh, seems to have affected the amount of fans who have shown up at the stadium. They're accused of fixing their balance sheets by artificial gains from club transfers. They were dropped from third place to 10th. They're in ninth now. Uh, as we know previously, the board all resigned last November, including Andrea Agnelli, whose family, of course, owns the club, presumably to limit repercussions for the club and for them as well and Juve's former sporting director Fabio Patrici who's at Tottenham now banned for 30 months too but uh, a pretty crazy game where Juve went behind pretty early on to Atlanta as well but Taylor Mm -hmm. if anything they're entertaining this Juventus team for reasons (laughs) outside the field at the very least I mean the game was certainly entertaining the 15 point deduction uh, is going to be less entertaining I think for Juve fans they can still appeal it I think there's one more way of appealing uh, in Italian sports so maybe they will end up getting that either 
negated or reduced the prosecutor in this case uh, had requested a nine point reduction. So uh, uh, quite penalized for Juve. Uh, Andrea Agnelli, their former uh, director, he's banned for two years. A lot of the board members the same. It doesn't seem like it's going to be overturned. If anything, it seems like it's going to get worse. It seems like UEFA are going to open their own investigation, which means that we could see Juve kicked out of the Champions League because those those balance sheets you mentioned, Ryan, they uh, uh, impact financial fair play where there was already some questions about Juventus's bookkeeping. Uh, I think also that then relates to actual fraud. So we could see, see a criminal investigation as well. Not a great time uh, to be a, a Juve fan, even a worse time to be a Juve board member, specifically a former board member. Uh, there's questions about the payments to Ronaldo. There's questions about uh, what they claimed as being pay reductions during COVID, when in actuality they continued to pay players basically the exact same amount while claiming they had paid them reduced wages. A lot of shady bookkeeping uh, for Juve and a lot of it relating to inflating of transfer values so that they're their balance sheets looked all the better. The Artur Pjanic swap deal, the biggest example of that for sure. (laughs) That was so obviously (laughs) a dodgy deal. It was was unreal. The the thing about this story is at the moment it's a Juventus scandal, but it seems like it could quite likely become a a league-wide scandal pretty quickly. There are suggestions that Napoli's deal to sign Victor Osimhen a few years ago might have been suspect. I will be heartbroken if Napoli get caught up in this. This season of all seasons, it seems like the only thing that can stop them is uh, is fraudulent bookkeeping. But yeah, there's a number of clubs that could be implicated mm-hmm. in this. I mean, much like Calciopoli, yeah. of course, it's impossible to hear all this and and not draw the, draw the comparisons to the last scandal that hit Italian soccer, where Juventus were punished harder than anyone else, but there were still maybe three or four other clubs that also had punishments. And being fair for a moment, worth noting, as many you Juve fans have, the two clubs involved in that swap deal were Juve and Barcelona. So I think that's the other area where UEFA might get involved is that other clubs are clearly doing this. Uh, and the this in this case being the inflation of those values, a quick, hopefully accurate explanation. It's essentially relates to amortization. I apologize if I've butchered the pronunciation of that one. I cannot say that word for the life of me. But essentially for the Pjanic Artur deal, it's both clubs valuing their players at insane values. This was years ago and it was Juventus buying Artur from Barcelona for 72 million euros and then selling Milan Pjanic to Barca for 60 million euros. So in the end, I think only 12 million euros is actually transferred. But because they can spread the value of that deal. So Pjanic, 60 million. I think he was on a five-year deal when he signs. So you can spread that over the length of those five deals, and that allows you to make it look like it has a way smaller hit to your books, if any hit at all. Uh, and then at the same time, you can declare that you sold Artur for 72 million. So right there, you've got a 72 million profit that you didn't actually make. But if you're trying to balance your books, if you're trying to make it look like you are cooperating with financial fair play, suddenly you're getting these huge gains that seem like, oh, wow, they're doing a great bit of business. They're selling and and staying in the green, when in reality, they are very much in the red. And it, it's it's... A loophole similar to when clubs would inflate their sponsorship deals to get around financial fair play that way. Clubs are always going to look for creative ways to get around uh, regulations to find those loopholes. And in this case, I think Juve exploited a number of them and got caught for most of them. This was the real motivation behind the European Super League. Mm, Juventus yep. looked at their squad and went, ah, we've run out of Arthur Mellos. We, there's only so many Arthur Mellos to go around. <laughs> it's, dude, you say that in jest. It's wild to me how clear it is that the Super League was a way that for clubs to see train wrecks coming and thought, if we just jump to this league where we regulate ourselves so no one can tell us that we've done anything improper, where we are here forever so we can do what we want and we have a license to print money, I think multiple... Multiple clubs were so willing to go the Super League route because it would have gotten them out of hot water, which is a fascinating way to avoid uh, accusations of like bribery and fraud and whatever else. Uh, it really does seem like the Super Super League was fundamentally just a tax dodge uh, that would have allowed yeah. these clubs to stay financial giants for eons. 
and, and another wrinkle in this, I, I don't, we, we actually haven't discussed this yet. Maybe this will be the subject of this week's big thing. Yeah. Maybe it might be Everton. We haven't decided on, on that. But another wrinkle is that because of the European Super League scandal and, and that episode, you had the breakdown of the relationship between Agnelli and Alexander Seferin. Of course, Agnelli, Seferin is Agnelli's uh, son or daughter's godparent, and now they, they don't, they're not on talking terms anymore. And now UEFA is going to investigate the Agnellis for their role in, in, in this. So I, I, I hope there's another Apple TV documentary series about that whole episode, that whole scandal, because I would watch that. It, it will be crazy to see what comes out. And I don't know if, it, know if it's considered like Jeep sponsor Juventus, who are also owned by the Agnelli family. And I'm sure they gave them a very good deal on those uh, sponsorships as well. So we'll see what comes of it. It's just so odd, Taylor, because everything else in Italy is just so well run. And here we go. Uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll leave it there. I mean, I don't think that this is 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 a rarity. It doesn't. I don't think. I think you are the ones who got caught for doing it most egregiously. Like the Pianic arts are one. Even to a like a layperson, you could look at that and think those guys are not worth that amount of money. Something is happening here, and I assume that if you have any financial background, especially when it comes to sport, you would have looked at that and said, ah, I know what they're doing, and they're going to get caught for that one because it's too obvious. But I think it's it's pretty commonplace for clubs to to find ways to make deals uh, balance out better for them in the long term. I mean, I'm not saying Chelsea are doing anything wrong necessarily, but this seems to be the model they're going for, is sign players on very long-term deals so you can spread that transfer fee out over the length of that deal, and it has a much smaller hit uh, for that individual season, and then you make a sale for like a player of lesser value, but you can chalk that one up, you can inflate that value, and now suddenly you're in the... you're have a positive balance sheet, you're not violating financial fair play. I think a lot of different clubs are doing this. It just seems to be Juve doing it more egregiously than others. But we'll see what happens with Napoli. We'll see if Barcelona get pulled into this one. We'll see who else gets drawn in. I'm, I'm assuming there'll be more, play, more clubs involved before this one is done. It seems that is the case. And this one is nearly done. Just to let you know, listener, that um, I know you're waiting to hear this. Uh, Ronaldo had his competitive debut for Al Nasser over the weekend. A 1-0 win over Etifak. And Al Nasser are top of the... Competitive, quote-unquote. Well, they're top of the Saudi league and we'll keep obviously reporting in depth on Al Nasser's progress this season, of course, as is our duty. Uh, Taylor Rockwell, for now, thank you so much for your contributions as always, sir. Thank you, my friend. Graham Rutherford, pleasure as always, my dear boy. Thank you, Ryan Bailey. And Joe Lowry, teach us how to fold our shirts like you do, please. Mm, will do. Will do. Next time we're together. Will do. <laughs> Joe's, Joe's a way to stand outside the shop with his shirt off <laughs> after this. <laughs> and spray people with cologne. <laughs> that, that might even be too old a reference for Joe to know. Do Abercrombie still do that? I don't I know. I don't think they do it anymore, oh, no. Wonderful. Uh, well, a mental image <laughs> for us all to take away, listener. Thank you very much for joining us. We'll be back on the feed very shortly. But for now, bye. Bye. 